New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. When you're sick, you think it's never going to end. You've always been sick, and you always will be. When you're well, it's hard to remember there was ever anything wrong with you. These are the words of Gabrielle Glancy, who suffered from a mysterious and debilitating illness that left her too exhausted to move. Even though she consulted with many health practitioners, subjected herself to innumerable tests, such as CAT scans, EEGs, EKGs, colonoscopies, and much more, the diagnosis proved elusive. Today, we'll be exploring this tale of medical mystery with our guest, Gabrielle Glancy. Gabrielle Glancy is an award-winning poet and translator whose work has appeared in The New Yorker and The Paris Review, among other publications. She's also a top expert in getting high school students into college and is the author of The Art of the College Essay and editor of Best College Essays 2014. And she's the author of I'm Already Disturbed, Please Come In parasites, social media, and other planetary disturbances, a memoir of sorts. She's headquartered in the San Francisco Bay Area. Join us for the next hour as we explore a very human and heroic struggle with our guest, Gabrielle Glancy. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Gabrielle, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. Well, for almost three years, you were practically incapacitated with this illness. And so can you describe for our listeners a bit of what was going on with you? Yes. Well, what happened was um, I had a case of very bad bronchitis. This is what precipitated the illness. Um, and I went into the ER. I was having a lot of trouble breathing. I went into the ER and they gave me a course of prednisone, which I started taking when I was in the ER and then they sent me home with it. And that course of prednisone seems to have triggered um, something in my body uh, that resulted in, in this undiagnosed, seemingly undiagnosable illness, um, I began to get very, very unexplainably sick. And it's not side effects of the prednisone. It was weeks after. I had basically the the the, the worst symptom of it was uh, passing out, beginning to pass out. 
I figured out ways to um, stave it off, but um, what would happen is my jaw would get tight. It was sort of like a, uh, like a, yeah, like losing consciousness. My jaw would get tight. My consciousness would recede back, and my vision would start to to go out, and um, my stomach would get really, really hard and kind of blow up into a, like a hard balloon, and then I would just begin really losing it. Those were the symptoms. And so then, uh, let I would love for you. I know that you describe these symptoms over and over because this went on for years. Oh yes, this went on for years. So uh, you would describe these symptoms to a doctor, to various doctors and various practitioners. And I'd love for you to give us a little flavor of what you would say to a doctor. And if you could do a. a a little reading from the book for us, please. Sure, I'd love to. So I think I'll read this section. Um, it comes, it's specific to this moment only in that it's this particular doctor, but the litany of symptoms that I described could have happened, um, it happened many times, you know, almost you know, daily and, and in relation to many different doctors. But this particular um, scene is in relation to my um general practitioner who I eventually, though I adored him, uh, had to fire because he just didn't believe that anything was wrong with me and I was really sick. Okay, here we go. I felt too sick to drive. I was weak and dizzy, so I called Deluxe Cab of Oakland to come pick me up. A chic driver wearing a midnight blue turban whisked me off to the hospital. Miss Glancy, Dr. J said again. I stared at Dr. J through the jittery haze that was my vision, as if I were inside a warbled glass bottle, or as if he were speaking to me in another language. Are you feeling better? he asked, perfectly earnest. I'm dying, I said. He let out a nervous laugh. Before I left the house, I grabbed my will. I'm very, very sick, Dr. J. I'm sicker than I've ever been in my life. He looked concerned. Tell me your symptoms again, Miss Glancy. I've told you a million times, I said, rallying enough energy to speak. This is the fourth time I've been here this month. My symptoms are exactly the same. Suddenly, out of nowhere, my stomach becomes hard as a rock, and I get lightheaded like I'm about to faint. My consciousness draws back, and I can't talk. I feel like I'm going to die. I'm not in this state all the time, but often enough. The rest of the time, I feel like I'm just about to get the flu. My body aches, I'm spaced out and racy all at the same time. I just feel really, really sick. Do you ever have tinglings in your hands when this happens? Sometimes I have palpitations, not just during an episode, but all through the day. I've, I have like maybe a thousand of them a day. Hmm, Dr. J said. And I get hot and cold. My hands get hot like they're burning up, like 200 degrees. And then I start shaking, trembling up and down my body. Hmm, Dr. J said again. Miss Glancy, I don't want to upset you, but your symptoms sound very much like anxiety. Maybe you're having panic attacks. Panic attacks? Are you familiar with what a panic attack is? Familiar with them, I said. I'm the panic attack queen. I know exactly what a panic attack feels like, and these are not panic attacks, Dr. J. Feeling like I'm going to pass out while driving over the Golden Gate Bridge makes me nervous, granted, but I'm not passing out because I have anxiety. I have anxiety because I'm passing out. Now I was really fuming. 
Of course you would say that it was all in my head, I added. That's what women are like, right? We're hysterical. What, did we just turn back the clock 200 years? I'm sick, Dr. J. I'm not crazy. And what brings you here today, he said. Do you still have the pain in your side? What brings me here today is that I'm dying. Something is eating me up from the inside. I feel completely possessed. And whatever it is, is eating my stomach, my food, my heart, and my brain. It's taken me over. I know it sounds crazy, but honestly, this is what it feels like. I'm sick and I'm dying, and I'm not leaving here until you admit me to the hospital. (laughs) Whoa, (laughs) that was a very powerful excerpt. And I, I, I just want to go through, I wrote down uh, from the book, I just made a little list of some of the diagnosis that you received in these, like almost three years. Uh, some doctors said, okay, it's epilepsy, it's heart disease, it's drug addiction, it's um, fainting, it's um, magnesium deficiency, mercury poisoning, pre-diabetic glucose intolerance, um, gluten allergy, uh, iodine overload, low thyroid, ozone poisoning, panic attack, as you just read, uh, duodenal uh, ulcer, or even chemtrails. You know, these were some of the diagnosis you received, and and then you would, you would get certain treatments. What were some of the treatments that you were issued or or were suggested to you? Well, I'd have to say I didn't get very many treatments um, because nobody knew what to do. I love it that you made that list, though. I myself have never made that list. You know, I went through it in the book and I went through it in real life, but I never actually extracted it and made the list. It's really long and it's so ridiculous when you hear it. You know, everything from, you know... um, Chemtrails, which is the the idea that you know people are putting chemicals out to to uh, numb us so that we'll just you know blindly follow up, Big up Brother in the, up in the atmosphere. Yes, right. to you know, uh, glute, I had a doctor, Doctor J, said, "I think you have pre you're in a pre diabetic condition. You know, I think it's glucose. It's a glucose. You need more." He sent me to get glucose tabs, which I I did end up buying. And I, there's one scene where I'm getting on a plane, like just downing these glu, which is basically sugar. It's just eating sugar, mm-hmm. and it had, of course, because. When the condition was diagnosed and then I looked back, I saw that that was probably the absolute worst thing I could have taken. Um, So I did that. I did like elimination diets. I did, um, you know, that one doctor I went to did some sort of mysterious prognostication where she ended up like putting bottles of various supplements on my belly and then, you know, swinging a pendulum over it to see which ones my body wanted and giving me like a thousand dollars worth of supplements. So, um, yeah, I mean, mostly they just didn't know what to do, you know? Um, and then on occasion, you know, people gave me things to take. And then all of the tests that you went through, I mean, and I mentioned a few of them in the, uh, introduction, I mean, test after test. And I, I want to say something about tests because, um, I, I pulled out this article that was, that I found in it was actually written up in 2011 in Time magazine by Dr. Jesse Pines and Dr. Zachary Meisel, and just one part of it it said um, they were talking about over testing, 
and they say overtesting is simply that new doctors can't function without them. Lately, radiology tests have become a crutch. Doctors in training are no longer taught how to distinguish patients who need testing from those who don't. A decade ago, a surgeon would spend time interviewing and carefully examining a patient to help decide if he or she needed a CT scan. I, I thought that was irrelevant, you know, that, that, that many times this is not our experience when we're visiting our, our practitioners. Now many surgeons, it goes on to say, now many surgeons, especially the younger ones, won't see a patient until a CT uh, is complete. Testing has become more of a reflex than a higher level decision. So uh, I, I, I think you, you make a little bit of this point in the book, a, a bit of this point that I hadn't thought about it, but you mentioned in the book about how when you walk into an exam room now, often the case is that there's a computer there. And often it is a case, and once you said this, I realized this was really true. The doctor is looking at the computer more than they're looking at you. Absolutely. Is it tell describe that? Well, yes, and and I want to speak to what you just said about the testing as well because I mean, I had every test in the book and many of them multiple times. Like I probably had four cat scans in the course of that those 3 years. I'm I'm going to have to interrupt you just a moment because I really want to hear more about this subject in just one moment. I want to remind our listeners that I I'm here with Gabrielle Glancy and she's the author of I'm Already Disturbed. Please come in. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, Gabrielle Glancy. That's spelled with a G, G-L-A-N-C-Y, GabrielleGlancy.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, NewDimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Gabrielle Glancy, and she's the author of I'm Already Disturbed, Please Come In, Parasites, Social Media, and Other Planetary Disturbances, a memoir of sorts. Gabrielle, we were just starting to talk about how when we go to a doctor's office, often there's a computer there, and often they're looking more at the computer than at us these days. And as as fine 
uh, as computers are and how they they show our whole history possibly and and that's a good thing but there's a downside too can you say something about that yes well absolutely um very often, I would be describing my symptoms to the doctor. The doctor would ask, what's wrong with you? What brings you here? I would describe the whole set of symptoms that I described in the, in the passage that I read, and I was doing that over and over and over again. The doctor was often at the computer, and the computer screen was actually between us. That kind of thing happened a lot. And then, of course, there's the classic moment when I was waiting for the top dog, Dr. Janet Joan Miller, to go into her office to, to see me, actually, and I was waiting for an hour and 37 minutes eating almonds and drinking my salt water in order to stay conscious, finally asked the receptionist again, could you ask the doctor? Uh, I saw her come in, you know, so she came back and she said, doctor will be with you soon. Time went on. Time was ticking. She wasn't coming. I eventually, I'd been reading all the pamphlets on GERD and duodenal ulcers, and finally I went out of the examining room. I went down the hallway, and I saw a little placard that said her name. I poked my head in. I saw she was there, and I said, Dr. Miller? Oh, oh just a moment, she said. I said, I've been waiting for an hour and 37 minutes. Are you going to come soon? And she said, I said, just a moment. And then she moved back in her chair and I saw that she was on the computer, and lo and behold, she was on Facebook, of all things, while I was sitting trying to maintain consciousness in her office. You know, that brings up the theme of the way that Facebook plays into the, um, to the book as well, which we can talk about at some point. But um, certainly, later on, when I was better, somebody said to me, you know, uh, that an enlightened doctor had said, and I believe this is true— truly enlightened, even though it seems so simple, to ask the patient, first, what do you think is wrong with you? That it's it's your body, so you have, you're clued into what the symptoms are. You know, if anybody had asked me, and they sort of asked me, but they didn't listen to the answer, I said, something is eating me from the inside. I feel, I mean, granted, I have a poetic way of speaking, and I can be sort of, um, I don't know what the word would be, but... Um, kind of hyperbolic and excited in the way that I speak. So I probably said it in ways like, you know, I don't know. I just feel possessed by like an alien something that's taking all my energy, you know, and they basically thought I was crazy. But in point of fact, I was possessed by an alien something that was eating my food and taking my energy. And anybody who with half a brain would just say, so you feel like something's eating your food, and the very next thing you would do would be to take a stool test, right? But they just said, okay, and this, I think, speaks to the point you were, you were saying before. They just said, okay, let's give you more tests. Let's mm -hmm. do a million-dollar workup. You know, mm -hmm. I had insurance. They were always you know, covering themselves in case for malpractice and everything and else. And part of that is for, for that very reason. Oh, yes. Absolutely. I think they're just so afraid that they will have been caught not doing some test or other, you know. And I mean, I was saying, I was saying, I'm dying. You, you need to admit me to the hospital. You know, this reminds me of an experience I had one time uh, some years ago. I had a bronchial situation and I went to a doctor and I said to him, I said, you know what I really feel? He wanted to prescribe 
antibiotics and just give me the full dose. And I said, you know what I really feel like? I feel like having a mustard plaster. Because I could remember from my childhood, my grandmother used to put that on on our grandchildren when we would we would be ill. And he did this strange, not strange, but he did something that just blew my socks off. He got up from his desk. He closed his door. He reached up on the top shelf of his bookshelf and brought down this antique book. And he opened it up, and he looked up the uh, recipe for mustard plaster, and we wrote it down. And what was significant to me about that was that he had to close the door, that he, he didn't dare let his colleagues know that he was doing something so um, old-fashioned, quote-unquote, as a mustard plaster, and, and that that he actually listened to me, and he wasn't going to go for the test. That was a, like a, a enlightened moment for me with the medical establishment, and it, and it reminds me, going back to the Facebook that you were talking about, that we... We possibly know our bodies. You, you said, there's an alien. I feel like I'm possessed by an alien. It's eating me. And, and we know our own bodies. And this whole, your whole, you had no energy for much, much writing or anything that you would normally be doing. And you were using Facebook a lot. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking the images that you use in the book that you show to show us in the book that you pulled out these screen images are, are almost dreamlike like your your deep body wisdom is coming through with these images so talk about what facebook was to you at that time oh, i'm very moved by your story about the the you know mustard plaster um it brought tears to my eyes because it is so unusual for a doctor to listen that well and be open to what the patient has to say and to non-conforming you know, remedies. So um, I felt really moved by that story, and um, it doesn't happen that often. And, of course, you know, I noted that he closed the door. You know, it's perfect. It's interesting because as I've been speaking, you know, going around the country speaking about this book, everyone has a story like this. You know, everyone knows someone or they themselves have had an undiagnosed illness, have felt really either poo-pooed, ignored, you know, by the medical establishment, have gone through all kinds of tests and and all kinds of things and and often remained undiagnosed. And even friends and acquaintances get get, um, (laughs) impatient. Oh, and, yeah. And they're like, say, oh, oh I, I think get over it. You know, I mean, my dearest friends, you know, my dear, dear friends said to me, you know, I think you're going to get through this. I don't know how. I, I think you're going to come back to life, basically. I was like teetering on the edge for a few years. So I think a lot of people, you know, with Lyme disease and it goes undiagnosed and there's all these autoimmune diseases. And, of course, this will lead me to, to a discussion of, of, of Facebook. Um, I think that, you know, what we've done to our planet has made us vulnerable to all the morphing of all kinds of influenza, you know, flu 
viruses and Ebola and other, you know, autoimmune diseases, uh, because of what we've done to our planet and to ourselves, we've become very vulnerable, which is why the title is, I'm already disturbed, please come in. We've already disturbed the universe and our bodies to such an extent, and our minds, I would say, poisoned our minds to such an extent that um, we're vulnerable to all kinds of illnesses, psychological, physical, you know, pandemics, as well. Um, but to speak about what you said about the images, it's beautiful, I think, how you put it to me because it made me realize that, and I had not realized this consciously until this moment, so I'm very grateful to you for raising it in this way. I was too weak to do anything. You know, I'm a writer, so I'm always generating ideas and writing and either writing poetry or uh, I wrote a novel or writing essays or creative nonfiction or whatever it is. But during this time, I was too sick to do anything, really, except I was a single mom, so I was taking care of my little son. He was three. Uh, working, although sometimes I would have to go into the restroom and lie down on the floor in order to get the blood back to my head and make all kinds of excuses because I'm, you know, in a pretty high-powered job that, you know, there's a lot of high expectations. So I really had to save face a lot. So all I was really able to do at times was uh, look at Facebook, and I started collecting, unconsciously, I didn't really think about it, collecting Facebook images that struck me. And it was only after that I realized that like an unconscious collage, these images were telling a story in and of themselves. But in a certain way, it was as if I was, in that case, trusting my own sense and my my own... Um, Yes, my own sense of what was interesting me and what was going on inside of me as reflected in what I was collecting because nobody was listening to me. And I think I just unconsciously just started listening to myself and just saying, well, what are you moved towards? What are you drawn towards? And I would collect these images. One Um, of the images that you collected, it was called, Are You an Explorer? And uh, this is in the book. You, you, there are all these screenshots in the book amongst your uh, writing. And it says, your mission is to document and observe the world around you as if you've never seen it before. Take notes. Collect things you find in your travels. Document your findings. Notice patterns. Copy. Trace. Focus on one thing at a time. Record what you are drawn to. Exactly. And that that really is what you did. You you I know that there was another image that was so striking. Uh, and I've seen this image myself uh, on the internet at some point. All these naked bodies mm-hmm. curled up and and right next to each other and in, in somehow out in in nature. Mm-hmm. And describe that image, what that looked like, and how that related maybe to your own, what was going on in your body. Right, right. Well, that's the. there's photographs by a wonderful photographer named Spencer Tunick. And they are, he took nude bodies out in, on the Alps in Switzerland and on the beach. He just had hundreds, sometimes thousands of men and women take off their clothes and lie down or kind of curl up, and he took photographs of them. And I had a Facebook friend who had posted this, and I noticed I was fascinated, for one thing. Secondly, I felt really nauseated 
which is very interesting, by looking at these photographs of these curled up people. And I realized they looked like larvae and that we as human beings, when you take off our clothes and you lie down, we're like naked worms. That's what it seemed like to me. And this is in a period of time when I was, you know, completely undiagnosed, going through this, no idea what was wrong with me, but I found I had a visceral, as it were, reaction to these photographs, and I thought, oh, they look like we're just naked worms. That's what human beings are. We're naked worms, and we're not fully grown up. Like, we don't have anything covering us that's hard or protective. Like, we're just these naked worms that are kind of moving around, because that's what the photographs made me think. You know, little did I know, I mean, I didn't know. I knew in some way, but I was so told that it was this, it was that, and nobody was, nobody gave me a stool test. So I didn't actually know. I'm here with Gabrielle Glancy. She's the author of I'm Already Disturbed, Please Come In. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Gabrielle Glancy, and she's the author of I'm Already Disturbed, Please Come In. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, GabrielleGlancy.com. And Glancy is G-L-A-N-C-Y, GabrielleGlancy.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, NewDimensions.org. Gabrielle, we're talking about this image of these naked bodies and they look like larvae and, and you, you were repelled and you thought, oh, they look like worms. And so, and that was what was actually going on with you, that you finally found a doctor after almost three years who asked you the question, uh, what do you think is wrong with you? And when you described it, he offered a test and asked yes. you, uh, have you ever had this test? So describe this this encounter. Right. Well, I mean, I think it's very interesting because I had no idea when I was looking at those naked bodies in, in Spencer Tunick's photography, and I and I thought, well, they really look like larvae, and I was both repulsed and, and intrigued, um, and there was a very interesting one of them. He has the bodies that are curled up in the shape of a brain, and I found it the day after I had my endoscopy that night. I saw that image, and I lost it, and I couldn't find it for a really long time, and it was perfect because it was, it was like... Like, well, it brought out the metaphor, really, because the worms, it turned out that I had parasites, but I didn't know it. So I was intrigued with this image, but I didn't know that there actually were worms inside me. And it's interesting because people often ask me, well, why did you, you know, include Facebook images in, in the book? And on a practical level, it was all I could do during this time. I would, When I was strong enough, I would begin to tell the story. I would write what was happening because even at the time, I knew that I must write this because people have to, it has to come out. 
What I experience cannot just happen behind closed doors. It must come out. And so even when I was going through it, as soon as I had energy, I would try to write what happened with Dr. J. What happened, you know, I walked in, this would happen. But then when I didn't have energy, I was collecting these Facebook images, taking screenshots of them and putting them in a folder on my desktop. I didn't know what I was going to do with them. It was only later that I realized that they were sort of the deeper, uh, in that case, listening to the deeper parts of myself, as, as I before said. But what's so interesting is that I realized that social media is sort of like those worms because it has a parasitic nature, which means that it's taking over you unconsciously. Now, what I do in the book, really, is to make conscious both that idea, which is that social media, you know, when we use the expression, it's gone viral, right? So it's even in the language of the internet, that social media, in a way, takes over us. You know, there's a whole study about people who look at Facebook a lot are more depressed. So it has a an actually an impact on our health. But in a way, seeing those curled bodies in the shape of a brain, it made me think of how our brains are infected by um, the parasitic nature of media in general and social media in this particular case. And I was pretty amazed. I'd have to say, in this case, I was conscious of that um, and, and consciously drew those those parallels. Well, it, it's almost like uh, they give you the images, and they are dreamlike, and and our dreams are part of our unconscious, and that that part of us. And I think that uh, our brain is we're we're mostly all the work of our brain is mostly unconscious. I mean, our conscious thought is a very small percentage of the of the lighting up of our brain as we've discovered. So so it's like our body is speaking to us through images. And I just thought that that was just outstanding, uh, the way you were consciously using it in some way. Yes. You, it, was, it was helping you in some way. And I, I just want to also ask you, in this book, is this an indictment for the medical establishment? Is that what you're doing here? Well, I'm not interested in pointing fingers. I think the doctors are trained in a certain way. You know, I got very close to the doctors because I saw them a lot. I love doctors. I was almost a doctor myself. I was a a pre-med English major. So it's not really an indictment of doctors. Um, It is a bit of an indictment of the Western medical system in which these doctors are unfortunately caught. But more than that, you know, it's interesting that you ask me this. Recently, um, a friend of mine, David Rico, uh, who wrote the book um, How to Be an Adult in Relationships, passed on this book called Radical Judaism by Rabbi Arthur Green to me. And there was this a few phrases in this book, and I thought, that is what I was doing. Rabbi Green says, humanism means an understanding that our fate, along with that of the entire planet, depends on human action. So it's not so much that it's an indictment, and he later says, as a clarion call 
coming from an ancient tradition for a transformation of human consciousness, uniquely befitting this critical hour in human history. And I think it's more that. It's, um, it's this funny thing because I was moving in and out of consciousness and I was, became hyper-conscious of the line between unconsciousness and consciousness because I was moving in and out of it all the time. And I think on a sort of bigger level, I became aware of the line between consciousness and unconsciousness in the way that we live as a species, really, on our planet. And the effect of unconsciousness um, on the possible destruction of our planet. So it was more a call to action, like as as Rabbi Green says in, in his book, Radical Judaism, a clarion call that we're at a critical hour in human history in which we are moving, and I think we can all feel that, between unconsciousness and consciousness. There is such a movement, a groundswell of attempts at greater consciousness through every kind of yoga and meditation and just there's a lot of things in the planet, but we still are sitting on a line between consciousness and unconsciousness. And it's so easy to tip over just even in our own lives into our own unconscious behaviors and patterns. And as a planet, you know, you've got militant groups all over the world. You've got still wars and, and, and people are fighting. And at the same time, as you've got this great groundswell of transformation, maybe now more than, than ever. And I think that this book is sitting right on that line as I was between passing out and awakening to a greater purpose and a greater consciousness. So I'm, I'm very pleased to be able to speak about that. I think sometimes when people read the book, they get very focused just on the illness and its cure. But the illness and its cure is only a metaphor. Otherwise, I could have called the book Parasites and How I Was Cured. But I didn't call it that. I called it I'm Already Disturbed, Please Come In, because it's a, a metaphor for a a grander sense of unconsciousness and what that makes us as a species as, and as a planet vulnerable to. One of the um, subjects that you cover in the book, which I, just, I think you highlight in the book, is that you point out the work of Michael Pollan, who um, we, we know him. One of his books is uh, Germs are some of my favorite people or something like that. I can't well, get it. It's an article. I mean, he oh. wrote um, The Omnivore's Dilemma and um, The Botany of Desire, I think it's called, and um, many, many other books. And this is this is an article that I read kind of synchronously with uh, the writing of this book called, I think it's Germs Are Some of My Best Friends. Or yes, Germs Are My yes, Best Friends. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, he points out that humans are only 10% human that we are mostly bacteria and and he points out uh, something that 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 this bacteria this uh microbiome is is extends our compare it it helps our rigid genome mm -hmm. in other words our genome our our genetic material is 
fairly rigid, but this kind of comes in because bacteria, he points out, it, it moves fast, it, it, it changes, uh, it can adjust to its environment really quickly. So this is a good thing. <laughs> it's a good thing that we're only 10% human, maybe. So what do you have to say about that work and what that has to do with where we are as a human species? Right. Well, it's interesting that a number of levels come up. One is my Michael Pollan is an old friend of mine. I've known him for about 30 years. Um, I actually used to spend summers in his wonderful writing cabin, uh, writing in his writing cabin when he was away in Connecticut. Um, And just by chance, through social media, a Facebook friend sent me his post, but of course I already know him. When I and the Facebook friend is a literary agent, Holly Bemis. So there we go. Where mm-hmm. there's the kind of good bacteria and the bad bacteria, there is something very valuable about the way in which there is such a fluidity um, in a social interaction. Because of social media, so I don't want to just uh, indict social media. I think we need to be conscious about what effect it has and how we use it. But through social media, ironically, um, I was put in touch with that wonderful uh, article that you just referred to um, by Michael Pollan. I think what's so interesting about it is it is an argument for the the uh, benefits of the sort of fast-paced world we live in where now it's grown small and we have a lot of influences like the the bacteria that help our bodies from the outside so it's an argument against xenophobia which is keeping out the foreign because we are foreign it's it's i love it because it's like we are all one right because the foreign bacteria that are that make up our microbiota so our, the flora of our intestines are actually not foreign at all that's what we basically are calling the self but we don't see that we think it's foreign it's outside of us we have to defend against it and in fact i'm only probably alive today because i take vast quantities of of foreign material of probiotics that help me digest my food but actually those um organisms which are not really myself any myself anyway, are already inside me, but they got depleted as a result of the treatments I needed to undergo to get rid of the bad bacteria. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it really, really challenges the notion. It reminds me of that movie came out many years ago called What the Bleep? It challenges the notion of the bounded self, the ego, the bounded self, um, as an entity into itself when actually it only functions and is able to survive as a result of all the, quote, foreign bodies that make up the self. So I thought it was such a beautiful, beautiful expression of that. I'm here with Gabrielle Glancy, and she's the author of I'm Already Disturbed, Please come in. Parasites, social media, and other planetary disturbances. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Gabrielle Glancy. She's a poet, a writer, and also a top expert in getting high school students into college. Uh, And she's the author of I'm Already Disturbed, Please Come In. And Gabrielle, I'm I'm thinking we we talk about the immune system as you know keeping us from getting diseases, but there there is another way of looking at it. I'm I'm not sure if it was Michael Pollan or or who came up with this, but I call it the MIS uh, system, microbial interaction system. So that's really what's going on. It's it's kind of a misnomer, isn't it, to say it's our immune system, because there there are are many uh, uh, bacteria. There are what they're called the the uh, free freeloaders. You know, that kind of hang in there, or or the mutualist who give us benefit and they're not doing harm. And then there. A tiny number of them, which are pathogens, and those are the bad actors. Mm-hmm. So, so it's really important that that we understand this in our bodies. Is it, and is are you finding that that's the case for you? Well, Justine, I'm really amazed because it brings us full circle. Because actually, the first question I answered, I said that I had been on prednisone uh, for. Um, bronchitis when after which I was on prednisone the symptoms began it wasn't as a result of the prednisone however prednisone is an immune suppressant and what happened is I believe and I've read things on this since then that it suppresses your immune system and it also suppresses your uh, some of your good bacteria so that the bad ones are able to really, really thrive and take over. And what happened, I believe, is that that course of prednisone, I, and since then I've read that anyone who's traveled and thinks they may have parasites should not take prednisone until they eradicate the pathogens because the prednisone is going to suppress the immune system in such a way that those pathogens are going to take over. I didn't know any of this till later. And one of the things I need to insert here is that's where you need to, if you suspect that, you need to ask for a stool test. Now, that's not a test that most doctors are going to recommend. That's not, it doesn't have big machinery, (laughs) you know, uh, MRIs or whatever, EKGs or all of that stuff. It's not high tech, but it is absolutely, so put that in your medicine bag, everyone, (laughs) as something to go to, at least to, to rule out some things. Right. So, so you, you were saying that this prednisone had just kind of wiped out your immune system and wiped out your ability in the good bacteria. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that's what happened. Um, and I had traveled because I adopted my beautiful son, Marco, from Guatemala. So I had traveled to Guatemala three times in Central America three years previous to this. Um, so it was, I, it was like the pathogens were dormant. They were there, but they weren't really virulent until I took the prednisone. And then something about the suppression of my immune system um, caused them to just take over. And it turns out that that, that particular parasite is called, what, strangeloides? Strangeloides, right. Roides, okay. And, 
And it was life-threatening. Oh, yeah. So strong you, voice. When you said to the doctor, I am dying, Yeah, you were not kidding. Yeah, I was not kidding. I certainly felt like I was dying. Um, so strongaloides, as it turns out, like its name suggests, strong, it's got the word strong in it, strongaloides, it is a lethal parasite, so it um, it takes over your you know your system, and it at the same time as it's eating your food, it is secreting or pooping out something that's like arsenic or cyanide, a poison. So there's a to- high toxic level that was in my body as a result of the strongaloides. So number one, I wasn't getting the nutrients that I needed, and number two. I felt so sick, and I was in a lot of stomach pain eventually, too, Um, but it was secreting a toxin, so it was affecting my consciousness. You know, I Mm -hmm. really believe it was uh, part of what contributed to, besides the fact that I was super weak, I was super weak, and then on top of that, I had a lot of toxins. You also make a connection with what is going on in our whole climate change and how uh, we are destroying wilderness and destroying like rainforests and all of these things that are happening. And we may be unwittingly <laughs> really destroying ourselves and our future in this way. Can you speak about that? Yes, certainly. I mean, um, I don't think it's the question is we may be. I think it is a critical moment in human history. I think anyone who doesn't see that, who thinks that climate change or what we've done to our natural environment, uh, anyone who doesn't see that is really unconscious and in great denial. Because I do think we're at a critical point. I think climate change is one aspect. It's very um, serious because it's pretty impossible to reverse and it needs to stop and i think that you know our very existence depends on our consciousness and awareness of what we're doing to the environment for sure when and you also emphasize in the in the book what what i'm i'm taking from it is that i really do know my own body better than anyone and to To sit there with the doctor in the white coat and to really keep insisting. I I know a good friend of mine, she went to her doctor. This was over a year ago, a year and a half ago, I think. And she said to him, she said, you know, there's something that feels really off in my breast. And he never touched her. He never did a palpitation. He never did anything. And it was not until a year and a half later that it was discovered she indeed had breast cancer. Now, now there, there was an example of how we need to stand firm just like you did. You just would not let go of it. You kept at it. You kept saying, wait a minute, something is wrong. I know something is wrong, even when in the face of people thinking you're crazy, that you're just having a panic attack. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that, you know, it's interesting. It's like a parallel because, in a way, there are those among us who are saying something is wrong with the way that we're living 
right, with the way that we're educating our children, with the way that we're living in our environment. Something is wrong. And there are those who, naysayers, who just are very complacent. And, you know, I think we're, we're so far away from nature, you know, these days in, in our modern urban and just in our modern life that it's hard for us to li- listen to the rhythms of nature and to really see what's going on. Um, and then there are those among us who are sounding that clarion call. You know, one of the things that I have noticed, and I'm sure everyone can speak to this, and that's... Um, we, when we go to any sort of public event, they say, um, this is a scent-free environment. Do not wear any perfumes or any, any sort of thing that has that kind of uh, odors. And um, odorless is what we're looking for. And these are like, there are more and more highly sensitive people. In fact, that is a syndrome uh, HSP, highly sensitive people. And we all have experienced this. And this is no joke. That So there's something going on here. I mean, 20 years ago, that never came up. That, that wasn't an issue mm-hmm. 30 years ago, for sure. But now it's just a stand. Yes. Well, I think What's happened, I mean, I relate to this very intimately. I never had an allergy in my life until this happened to me. I am now allergic to dairy, wheat, soy. I can't even eat any of these things. It make, they make me really sick. And chemical sensitivities, it's just from an overload of unnatural substances that our um, senses and immune systems have been exposed to to such a degree that these unnatural chemicals have caused disruption, you know, and that's it. You know, it's we become disturbed, our natural, you know, our natural way of processing, digesting, absorbing, tolerating has become disturbed. And I think that's really evidence of it. It's definitely evidence of it. So tell me just one last thing. Were you, I know that that you had the one GP that you really liked, Dr. J, you call him. Did you ever go back to him and say, oh, we found a diagnosis? Did you ever let him know? I did. I wrote to him and I said, I was diagnosed with parasites. I had a simple stool, stool test. And he said, one sentence. He said, glad to hear you're better. And that was it. That was it. That was it. He never said, gee, I don't know why I didn't do that, or I'm sorry to hear that. or um, Yeah, he just said, glad to hear that you're better. That's a little disappointing. Yep. Something happened with Michael where he had the opportunity to go back to a doctor to say, look, this simple uh, explanation and this simple uh, treatment solved it. But you know, he dared not do it because he thought it would be he would be jinxed because the doctor just couldn't accept it. I've got to leave it at that, but go ahead. The only last thing I want to say is, but that's why I wrote the book. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for writing the book, Gabrielle. And I'd like to remind our listeners that she is the author of I'm already disturbed. Please come in. Parasites, social media, and other planetary disturbances, a memoir of sorts. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, GabrielleGlancy.com. Glancy is spelled G L A N C Y. Gabrielle 
glancy.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3538. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.